Welcome to Centerpoint Church, where we are all about loving and leading people to a life-changing connection with Christ. We're so excited that you decided to join us today, and we believe that no matter where you're listening from, this message will enhance your connection with Christ. We hope you enjoy this message. I'm, I'm eager to share the message today. This is part three of King's Ransom, and I do believe that this message will be impactful for you to help you uh, to, to understand how God would want to strengthen you as you face whatever challenges come. But before I get into the message, I want to take a moment and, and just uh, kind of have a bit of a family chat. And so sometimes in the body of Christ, we have moments where we are... Uh, we are celebrating that something amazing has happened for someone in their life and that their life adventure is going to take them in a new direction. And now some of you are starting to read between the lines. And you're going, oh, no, who are you talking about? Well, I will share with you that for the last almost five years, Antoinette and Cliff Murray have been an instrumental part of Centerpoint. I mean, she began just volunteering in our worship department and then has become our worship director. And her husband, Cliff, a world-class musician with the Navy, like, I mean, we've been so blessed. And then to make a very long story short, uh, just a couple of weeks ago, Cliff, you know, re-enlisted in the Navy with a specific opportunity that, that was a dream opportunity for him uh, going back into the Navy for round two, but what it called for was a move to Monterey, California. So we are going to celebrate the adventure that the Murray family is going to be going on, and it's bittersweet because, man, we love Antoinette and Cliff, and we've been so blessed by them. But we, we understand that in all of our lives, there are moments where God gives us an assignment, and sometimes it, it shifts. And, and so uh, being a dad of a, of, a, of a Navy guy, I'm also aware that sometimes serving our country is something that God would say it's time for, you, for that in a new way. And so we're going to be, just in a couple of weeks, saying goodbye to the Murrays. It's kind of a short timeline, but uh, today and next weekend, and uh, you can grab, grab these two and let them know you love them. Uh, and on Seek Night on September 6th, we're going to have a bit of a off. So what we do in moments like this, we as the body of Christ, is we prepare our own hearts to release with grace and at the same time to anticipate with faith. And it's both. You know, we're going to release with grace this amazing couple that has a, a new adventure ahead and their kids, Abigail and Jacob, a new adventure ahead. And for reasons we don't even know, God's in, and now this, but we also anticipate with faith. God, you've been blessing us in center point worship. And what do you want to do now, God? We anticipate with faith. And so we're going to pray for that and uh, then get into the message. So let's take a moment and, and pray. Father, I thank you that you are our good shepherd. And that in all of our lives, there are times when you, you, grab, you grab hold of us and you kind of shepherd us into something that wasn't really what we were thinking of. But for reasons that you know about, you shepherd us. And you're doing that with uh, this family we know and love. You're going to be doing that with us. And we trust you, God, for good things, for all of us. We pray, God, that you would give us an, uh, an ability to release with grace and anticipate with faith. So thank you, Lord. Speak to us in your word today, in Jesus' name. And everybody shout amen. 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 Okay, so there's been this, uh, this video making the rounds. Uh, maybe you've, you've caught it, but it's like something about an, an eagle and a crow. And, and so I was like wondering if it was true, and I did some, some research on it and reading up on, on eagles and crows, of all things. And, and I learned something about eagles, and that is that eagles don't have very many creatures that come and attack them. But of all things, the crow is one of the few creatures that will attack 
an eagle. And the, the way it happens is the crow wants like the food that the eagle just got out of the water, or the crow wants the territory that the eagle scoped out, uh, or the crow wants the, 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 the young that are in the nest of the eagle. So the crow, one crow will come and just like get on the back of an eagle, if you can imagine it, and start pecking at the back of the eagle. And, and, and it's kind of crazy that it would do this. And, and that eagle actually has massive talons, and it could totally take that crow out. But usually what the eagle does is instead of fighting back at that silly crow, it just spreads its wings and begins to rise. And the higher the eagle rises, the harder it is for the crow to even breathe, and the crow falls away. And sometimes, though, it's not just one crow coming in after that eagle. Sometimes it's a whole murder of crows coming in, and they dive bomb the eagle, and, and they do this mad group squawking at the eagle, and they even defecate on the eagle. All, yeah, it's gross. All of this in an attempt to just wear out the eagle, to get the eagle to, to start fighting back in a dogfight in midair where then they can probably do something. But the eagle rarely fights back in that way. Instead, what the eagle does is spreads its wings and just begins to rise because it can. And that crow tops out at 7,000 feet or so. The eagle can hit 15,000. Some have even been seen at 20,000 feet, just soaring. And those crows just fall away. As long as that eagle rises as it can, the crows fall away. Some of you are like, that was a sermon, let's go home and have lunch. <laughs> but maybe I should connect the dots for some of the rest of us who are like wondering, what is that about? So we're going to be turning the scriptures to 2 Kings 18. And, and, and when you get there, what we're going to see is Hezekiah. And there's a kind of a connection where Hezekiah, as this king of God's people, has this holy royal identity. And we are learning and taking our cue from Hezekiah about how to live that way. And, and Hezekiah is a bit like the eagle. And you'll see it in the message this week and even more next week, that there's something about him that he, he finds a way to rise. And there's victory in that. And so we're going to be opening up the scriptures. But what I want you to know is that uh, the attack is real. Like, so for some of us, we, we hear about crows that, you know, pecking at the back of, of that eagle, and we can kind of relate. And I think it's probably true that most all of us can relate to, to what it's like to be experiencing an attack, where it just feels like something's just pecking at the back of your neck, and, and something's just kind of putting a heavy weight on you. And, and, and sometimes it's a, it, it, it's a people, or it seems to come through people who are insulting you, or mocking you, or lying at you, or taken from you. Or, or sometimes it's circumstances, whole circumstances that seem to be just going terribly. And, and, and it, it sometimes feels like hell itself is just rising up against you. And I think a lot of us can relate to what that's like. And, and the truth is that the Bible would say that feeling that sometimes it seems like hell is rising up against you, it's actually likely that, that could in fact be happening. And, and this is what the scripture says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. It says, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. It's like as though God's word in the Bible is saying, look, you don't need to get all worked up about this, but you should be aware that this is a factor of a normal spiritual life. I mean, we talked last week about the capacity for supernatural perception and to engage supernatural perception rather than drifting into just reaction, right? And, and today, I want us to catch this, that there is a need for us to be aware that attack is real. 
So we, we read about uh, 1 Peter 5, 8, that the devil's prowling around like a lion looking for someone to devour. And God's word just said, be alert. Be of sober mind. Don't be shocked. It's part of the deal. And then what we find is Jesus saying, in John 10, 10, the, the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy you. And it's like Jesus is saying, you should know about that. And he doesn't say you should be afraid of it at all, but you should be aware of that, that that's a factor in a normal spiritual life. And, and then we just are aware that, okay, there is a real thing called the devil, the enemy, and I'm not going to get worked up and afraid, but I'm going to be aware. I'm going to know that there is a reality. 2 Corinthians 2.11 uh, says that, that we, we have uh, an opportunity to be aware of the schemes of the devil. The way it puts it there is we're not unaware of the devil's schemes. So I guess what I wanted to say today is I'll, this is a, a message with some teaching that I hope, I hope will help you to become aware of the schemes of the devil. So with, with no sense of like being worked up or afraid about that, we just say, all right, bring it, let's go. And so we are gonna go, but I want you to make a statement with me first. And it's based on what we're gonna get from the scriptures, but it's just simply this, I recognize and resist the schemes of the enemy. That is my place in the kingdom of God, is that I will recognize and resist the schemes of the enemy. As believers, that is our position, is to be people who would say, say it with me, I recognize and resist the schemes of the enemy. I want us to live that way. I want us to take the word of God to heart and live this way. And so we are going to, in just a moment, turn to 2 Kings 18. And as we're turning to uh, 2 Kings 18, this is about the life of King Hezekiah. King Hezekiah from 2,750 years ago, in the times of the prophet Isaiah, in the southern part of God's holy land in Judah. But it's, it's not just about Hezekiah. It's about you and I learning from Hezekiah what it means to live with a holy, royal identity and move into a faith-filled destiny. That's what this is about. So we get to this moment where uh, King Hezekiah is leading Judah, but then these people up here, the Assyrians, have been coming in and attacking the northern tribes called Israel and taking them out and winning. And Hezekiah is watching all of this. And, and what we saw was, if you were with me last week, Hezekiah uh, tried to say, do a little bargain and say, hey, I'll give, you, I'll give you all the money in the world. I'll give you a king's ransom. I'll give you all the gold from the temple. Just let us alone. And tried to make a deal. Didn't matter. The, the, he gave away the king's ransom, and then the Assyrians came anyway. And what we're at today is the moment where the king of Assyria is there, but the way he did it was he sent his chief of staff to go do the talking as an emissary. So you've got the chief of staff from uh, Assyria, and then you've got Hezekiah's emissaries, his chief of staff too, and they're, and they're about to have it out. And so that's the moment that we're coming into. So we get to 2 Kings 18, 19, and, and it's a long passage of scripture, right? And, and it's kind of like one long story. And so I would prefer to be able to, if you're all right with it, just kind of read the whole thing all at once as a story. Are you good with that? Okay, so this is the scripture, 2 Kings 18, uh, verse 19. So then, it says, then the Assyrian king's chief of staff told them to give this message to Hezekiah. This is what the great king of Assyria says. What are you trusting in that makes you so confident? Do you think that mere words can substitute for military skill and strength? Who are you counting on that you've rebelled against me? 
Oh, on Egypt? If you lean on Egypt, it will be like a reed that splinters beneath the weight of the pierces your hand. Pharaoh, king of Egypt, is completely unreliable. But perhaps you will say to me, we are trusting in the Lord, our God. Oh, but isn't he the one who insulted, was insulted by Hezekiah? Didn't Hezekiah tear down his shrines and altars and make everyone in Judah and Jerusalem worship only at the altar here in Jerusalem? I'll tell you what, strike a bargain with my master, the king of Assyria. I will give you, I will give you 2,000 horses if you can even find that many men to ride on them. With your tiny army, how can you even think of challenging even the weakest contingent of my master's troops, even with the help of Egypt's chariots and charioteers? What's more, do you think that we've invaded your land without the Lord's direction? The Lord himself told us, attack this land and destroy it. Ha <laughs> ha! Well, then Eliakim, son of Hilkiah, Shebna, and Joah said to the Assyrian chief of staff, Please speak to us in Aramaic. We understand it well. Don't speak in Hebrew, for these people on the wall will hear. But Sennacherib's chief of staff replied, Do you think that my master sent this message only to you and your master? No, he wants all the people to hear it. When they put this city under siege, they will suffer along with you. They will be so hungry and thirsty that they will eat their own dung and drink their own urine. (laughs) Then the chief of staff stood and shouted in Hebrew to the people on the wall, listen to this message from the great king of Assyria. This is what the king says. Don't let Hezekiah deceive you. He will never be able to rescue you from my power. Don't let him fool you into trusting in the Lord by saying, the Lord will surely rescue us. This city will never fall to the hands of a Syrian king. Ah, don't listen to Hezekiah. These are the terms the king of Assyria is offering. Make peace with me. Open the gates and come out. Then each of you can continue eating from your own grapevine and fig tree. And and, and I will arrange to take you to another land like this one, a land of grain and wine and vineyards and olive groves and honey. Choose life instead of death. Don't listen to Ezekiah when he tries to mislead you by saying, the Lord will rescue us. He, have the gods of any other nation ever saved their people from the king of Assyria? What happened to the gods of Amat and Arpad and Niva? Did any god rescue Samaria from my power? What god of any nation has ever been able to save its people from my power? So what makes you think that the Lord can rescue Jerusalem from me? But the people were silent did not utter a word because Hezekiah had commanded them, do not answer him. Then Eliakim, son of Hilkiah, and the palace administrator, Shebna, and the court secretary, and Joah, son of Asaph, the royal historian, went back to Hezekiah. They tore their clothes in despair, and they went in to see the king and told him what the Assyrian chief had said. When Hezekiah, the king, heard their report, He tore his clothes, he put on burlap and went into the temple of the Lord and he sent Eliakim, the palace administrator, Shebna, the court secretary, and the leading priests all dressed in burlap to the prophet Isaiah, son of Amos. And they told him, this is what the king Hezekiah says, today's a day of trouble, insults, and disgrace. Like when a child is ready to be born and 
The mother has no strength to deliver the baby. But perhaps the Lord your God has heard the Assyrian chief of staff sent by the king to defy the living God and will punish him for his words. Oh, pray for those of us who are left. After King Hezekiah's officials delivered the king's message to Isaiah, the prophet replied, say to your master, this is what the Lord says. Don't be disturbed by this blasphemous speech against me from the Syrian king's messengers. Listen, I myself will move against him. The king will receive a message that he's needed at home. So he'll return to his land where I'll have him killed with a sword. The word of the Lord. Okay. Okay. It's a long passage. I didn't want to bore anybody, so welcome to my world. <laughs> so, so this scripture, I mean, it's, it's kind of clear of what's happening, right? We got, we got the history. We got the setting. We understand that, that Judah, God's chosen people in the south, they're being attacked by these Syrians. I mean, that's like the historical record of what's happening. But what, what we can see, if we would have eyes to see, if we would have ears to see, is basically a template of what it looks like when there's an attack from the enemy. If we can see in this scripture clearly uh, what God is wanting to show us, what we will come to understand is a greater awareness of what the schemes of the enemy look like. And we already uh, agreed together. 2 Corinthians 2.11 says, let's not be unaware of the devil's schemes. So I want us to take a look at this passage of scripture with, with eyes to see by way of allegory what it looks like when there's a spiritual attack. Because this is, in a sense, a kind of an anatomy of a spiritual attack. And I want us to catch the elements of it. So I'm going to share with you six particular things that, that I see in this scripture, six, uh, six aspects of the, the anatomy of an attack, six scare tactics. So uh, the first one is, you see it in verses 19 to 21, and it's to undermine a sense of security. That's the first one, to undermine a sense of security. This guy comes in talking about, oh, you think you're safe? What are you trusting in, Egypt? You think Egypt is going to help you? And so if you're the, the people of Judah, the feeling that you have in that moment is, oh my gosh, we are totally vulnerable. We're going down. We're going to be ruined. We're, we're not safe. And he's even standing there by the well, by the, the central waterworks for the whole city, making it even more threatening. Like, you are not safe. When there's a demonic attack, this is one of the first characteristics, is a feeling inside that I'm not safe, I'm not safe, I'm, I'm going I'm to be, be destroyed, I'm going to get hurt. That is sometimes evidence that there is a demonic attack that's taking place. The second one is this, this enemy from Assyria comes in to incite faith deconstruction. He comes in talking about, oh, you, you're, trusting in your, you, you're trusting in your God? What, the God of Hezekiah? And he even goes so far as to say, wait a minute, didn't Hezekiah just destroy all the shrines and altars? God is, God is going to be mad with you. I mean, he literally is doing this psychological warfare, trying to get them to even question the, the validity of their own faith. Hezekiah had come in talking about, we're going to pull down all of those high places and pagan shrines, all of the good luck charms, all of the fortune tellers, all of the uh, astrological zodiac garbage. We're pulling it all down because our faith is not in witchcraft. Our faith is in Jesus alone, Christ alone. 
that's kind of what's going on. But the enemy comes in, and when there's demonic attack, the enemy comes in just like Sennacherib's boy, and talking about, really, are you sure? Come on, all those altars matter. All those altars are important. All those pagan shrines need to be there. Hezekiah's got it wrong. You should really doubt that. And what happens is, is the enemy comes to incite a, 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 a destruction of faith. And you find yourself when there's a demonic attack, sometimes going, I don't know if I can believe this anymore. I don't know if I can, I don't know if I can believe what I've been taught by those who were discipling me at church. The Hezekiahs in my life, I don't know if I can trust them anymore. I think maybe they got it wrong, and, and I don't think I want to be there anymore. And slowly but surely, there's a deconstruction, and you begin to walk away, and, and that's exactly what the enemy's after. It's one of the tactics of the enemy. And then another tactic of the enemy is the third one, to prompt insecurity about God's solidarity. You see this in verses 24 and 25. He says, he says, he literally says, God told us to come here and smack you down. He literally says, God told us to do that. And if you were the Israelites at this point, you might have been thinking, think maybe he's right about that because you probably would have heard the words of the prophet Isaiah and it is partially true in Isaiah 7 and 8 there is a prophetic word that basically says yep the Assyrians are going to rise up to come in and smack you down <laughs> it literally is there but that's only part of the equation that's only part of what was declared the prophetic word also always includes God's preferential option for mercy to any of his people that would repent and put their trust in him. The, the enemy didn't remind them of that, though. The enemy didn't do that. The enemy just left them going, what? I don't even know if I can believe anymore. I don't even know if I can have this faith anymore. It's demonic. That attack comes that way to prompt insecurity about God's solidarity. I don't know if God is for me. I mean, I know they sing that in those songs, but I don't know if I can really believe it. That's a demonic attack. And then the fourth element of this demonic attack is to intimidate with threats. Okay, so this guy comes in and, and just says, no, we're going to destroy you. And you know what he does? He, he, he actually brings a testimony. He says, what happened to Sepharvaim? What happened to Arpad? What happened to Iva? And those names mean nothing to us. What about Samaria? We probably know that one. And this guy is basically saying, that's right, we destroyed all of them. And so if you're the Israelites at this point, you're going, we're dead. <laughs> we're dead. Like they, all of that actually happened. So the enemy is bringing a testimony of destruction. And sometimes when there's a spiritual attack, the same thing is true. The enemy comes with a testimony of destruction, of places where there has been something that went really wrong. And, and it's an attempt to get you to look at that rather than looking at the glory of God. And it's a demonic attack. It's an element of a demonic attack. The fifth element of this attack is to expose to public scorn. Remember the part where they said, could you just keep it down, dude? I mean, th these people can understand everything you're saying. And the guy's like, exactly. I want them all to hear that they're going to eat their own dung. Remember that part? Like, but he's, he's, putting, <laughs> he's, put, he's putting them into exposure for, for public scorn. 
And, and I notice that sometimes when there's a demonic attack, this, this, this scheme is utilized, that you end up feeling concerned or afraid for how you are going to be viewed by other people and, and how you're going to be exposed to scorn by other people. Why? Because the devil loves to use shame as a cattle prod against God's people until we get a clue and wise up and realize no shame has anything over me because I'm covered by the mercy covering of Jesus Christ. But the enemy will try, if you don't know who you are, to prod you with a shame stick. And scorn, the idea of public scorn, the, the sixth one is to entice with temptations. And oh yeah, even this guy comes with the temptations. We, and we all heard it. I'll, I'll remind you of these words. This guy comes from Sennacherib, and it's in verse 31. He says, don't listen to Hezekiah. These are the terms that the king of Assyria is offering. Make peace with me. Open the gates. Come out. Each of you can continue eating from your own grapevine and fig tree and drinking from your own well. And then I will arrange to take you to another land, a land of grain and wine and bread and vineyards and olive groves and honey. It sounds good, doesn't it? I mean, if you're the Israelites, to be honest, you're thinking, not a bad option. I mean, heck, there's, there's, I mean, it's all the things we want. I could get all the things I want. I could get satisfied by all of that stuff. All I have to do is give in and not take a stand. All I have to do is just forget about my special connection with my God. All, all, and I can have vineyards and honey and olive groves. And I mean, that's, that's what he's saying anyway. And, and, and there's, a, there's an enticement. And sometimes you and I need to be aware of this. When there's temptation coming our way, enticements coming our way, it's not innocuous. It's not innocent. There's often a demonic power undergirding those things because it's an attempt to get you derailed from your destiny with your God. And, but it comes as something pleasurable. It comes as something enticing. It comes as something that you think would be satisfying. I would like those olive groves. Oh, I'd really like that honey. He talked about, he talked about new wine. Whew, you know I'd like some. And, and you, you feel that temptation, that woo, that sense of maybe I'll just get a little, and, and you and I, we, we face moments where there's something that kind of, kind of says something like that, that, that Assyrian leader is saying, like, come on, I, I'll take you to another special place. You, I, know you, I know you're here, and you got this promised land that's from God, but I'll, I'll give you some, I'll promise you something too. I'll promise you'll feel good. I'll promise you'll get your needs met. I promise you'll feel so satisfied. And it's a, it's a lie. And what I notice in this whole thing is God gave his people the promised land. And the enemy wants to take away what God has given to God's people. That was true in this moment, and that's still true today. There's a way in which God has given you a place. God has given you a ground. God has given you an assignment. God has given you a calling. God has given you territory, and it's yours. It's between you and God, how you got there, and that you have it. But the enemy, his attempt is to come and get it, to take what God gave to you by promise. You and I need to just be aware of that, alert, watchful. We have to hear that word from Scripture in 1 Peter to, to, to be sober-minded, to not get our, let ourselves get lulled to a place where we, we're not paying attention anymore. 
There's something that God wants to do in and through your life, but for that to happen, you're going to need to be aware that there are schemes of the enemy. And so the declaration again today is, I recognize and resist the schemes of the enemy. Say it with me. I recognize and resist the schemes of the enemy. If I were God's people in this moment, with this guy from Assyria coming and throwing down all of these threats, but then finally closing it up with this enticement to come away to a different kind of a promised land, I'd say it's tempting. Come on, somebody say it's tempting. It's tempting. I mean, you think about it historically in this moment, it would be tempting for those people to say, yeah, I trust God. But I really also am going to trust in an allegiance with, with this guy and these Egyptians or these Assyrians. And, and it would be tempting for them to uh, respond to the invitation of the most powerful leader in the known world to them and, and to just make, make a treaty, make a deal. It, it would be tempting to consider the promise that that guy is actually putting out on the platter for them. And to think about it as something that might be satisfying and good for them. It would be tempting uh, for them to believe exactly what their enemy had been saying. God's not going to come through for you. It'd be tempting for them to go, yeah, you know, I did. God did come through for us in the past, but I I don't think he's going to do it again. It would be tempting for them to believe that maybe Hezekiah was right. Or or maybe he was right about Hezekiah. This guy says, Hezekiah, isn't he the one that tore down all of the high places and shrines and Asherah poles? God's mad about that. It could be tempting. It could be tempting for them to believe, like, ah, oh, maybe he's right about Hezekiah. Maybe it was wrong for us to tear down all of the good luck charm idols and stuff. I mean, maybe the Asherah poles aren't that bad. Maybe, maybe, maybe God was kind of okay with all the Asherah poles because, you know, love is love, and we should just accept everything that goes on, and it's all good, right? And, and the most important thing is that people feel lovey-dovey, and maybe, maybe this guy's right about Hezekiah. It would be tempting to believe that. It'd be tempting for them uh, to to just give up. And now let me say, it's not just about them, but what about us? When there's attack like this going on, it's tempting. It's tempting for us to say, I trust God, but actually everything depends on me. I'm going to do it all on my own strength, my own power. It would be tempting to just make peace with the enemy and just back down and not stand our ground on anything anymore because it's just too tough. It'd be tempting to believe that even though God has come through in my life in the past, that he's probably not going to come through in this moment, and so I might as well just give up my, my faith in him. It'd be tempting to actually receive that enticing offer of the enemy for a new kind of a promised land, where I can have all the pleasure I want and have it my way, grain and vineyards and bread and honey and sex and drunk as high as I want to be, rich as I want to be for my own personal pleasure, and, and, and sign me up, take me to Treasure Island, right? It'd be tempting. Be tempting to, to miss the part, though, where e- even this Assyrian ruler says, yeah, 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 come, I'll relocate you. <laughs> I will relocate you. Out of where God has given you a promised land and into something else, it's tempting. Somebody say it's tempting. When it's all said and done, so much of the schemes of the enemy come down to tempting tempting. And so what I want to ask you to do is to keep on remembering who you are. As a daughter 
of God, a son of God, redeemed by the blood of Jesus, loved deeply by your heavenly father, brought into his kingdom by the work of his own hand, anointed by him to live in a kingdom of God assignment in this world and given a promised land of your own, a place of God's covenant goodness to you. And sometimes you do need to fight for it. Sometimes you do need to take your stand and do what God's word has called you to do because sometimes these attacks come with such ferocity that that it does feel a little bit like you're one of those eagles with a crow coming back on your neck. And and for me, I I become aware of the enemy's uh, afflictions in my life sometimes, and then something happens inside of me, like the, the 80s child in me rises up with a little bit of twisted sister, and I find myself saying, we're not gonna take it. No, we're not going to take it. No. Yes. Oh, I'm so glad you could do that. At least a few of you. If you're younger than 26, you're like, what? What was that? Or if you're older than 60, you're also like, what was that? But there's a few of us. The rest of you can Google it. Twisted sister. We're not going to take it. My hair is not quite long enough to rock it like I just tried to, but, but I'm getting there. I'm getting there. <laughs> James 4, 7 says this. It says, humble yourselves before God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. And so there has to be in our spiritual life an element where we do this, where we humble ourselves before God. And that includes saying sometimes, God, you are awesome and mighty, and like we were singing, you're holy, and I've missed your holy mark, and I repent. Would you forgive me? Would you wash over me by the blood that you shed and cleanse me? I humble myself before you, God. You have a right to speak direction into my life, because you're the Lord, you're God. I humble myself before you, but that's not all. Then I recognize, and devil, I resist you, every scheme, every temptation, every lie, every threat, every menacing, every attempt to disrail my faith. I resist, I resist, I resist. And the promise from the scriptures is God saying, and he must flee from you. He'll flee from you. And that's something I'm going to hold on to. And 2 Timothy 1.7, when those attacks come, with causing me to, to, to feel so insecure or whatever, I remembered this. Say it with me. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power and love and self-discipline. And so in that promise, I rise up resisting the devil's charms and temptations, and I rise up with power, power to resist, power to say no, power to lock arms with some brothers and sisters that will help me to say no, power to stand together in community where people will say, hey, we're not going to let you fall off the rails, power to stand in prayer with other people experiencing God's presence healing something inside of me so that I don't have to drift into the dissipation anymore, power, I have power, it's because what he's given me is a spirit of power and love, I have love. Love from my heavenly father that I wake up in and remember when the devil's taunting me, talking about, you're a piece of trash. Look how bad you screwed everything up. I said, no, I'm loved by my God. He demonstrated it at the cross. I am loved by my father and I am not stuck in shame because I know how much God loves me. I am loved by God and his love can flow through me into this world. I have a a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. I have something inside of me that allows me to say, I hear this taunting from the enemy, but I'm not reacting. I have a spirit of self-discipline or sound-mindedness enough to say, I see that for what it is. It's an attack of the enemy, and I don't 
have to engage the way the enemy wants me to engage. I don't. Why? Because I know who I am. I know who I am. I know that ultimately I live in the reality of Christ in me, the hope of glory. And if that's true about you, that you have Christ in you, the hope of glory, then whatever the enemy is bringing your way ultimately doesn't stand a chance. If you can just remember who you actually are and then go where you have the right to go. And here's what I mean. Proverbs 18, verse 10 says, the name of the Lord is a strong tower, and the righteous run to it, and they are safe. Why don't you say that with me one time? Ready? Go. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. One more time. Say it. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it, and they are safe. And some of us are tripping. Keep it up on the screen, because we're going, well, I guess that's for somebody else, somebody called the righteous. But me... I don't think I've done enough good things. I think I've gotten myself into some shady stuff, so that must not apply to me. No, I want to tell you something. If you put your trust in Jesus Christ, he has allowed his perfect righteousness to be applied to you, to be applied to you, so that you can say, that applies to me. I am the righteous, and I get to run into the strong tower of the name of the Lord, and I'm safe. And so I want you to kind of just place your hand on your heart for a second and, and, and rewrite the script for a moment. The righteous, it's you. And just remind yourself, in Christ, I'm righteous. Just say it with me, in Christ, I'm righteous. Oh gosh, I have so much to learn. I have so many rough edges that need to be worked on. I have so many things that I didn't get it right. But but in Christ, I'm righteous. Just say it again, in Christ, I'm righteous. And so the name of the Lord is a strong tower and the righteous run to it and they are So now I want you to just say this like it's personal. The name of the Lord is my strong tower. I run to it. I am safe. Just say it with me. The name of the Lord is my strong tower. I run to it. I'm safe. One more time, say it. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. I run to it, and I am safe. I want you to just imagine this. You, knowing who you are, loved by God, redeemed by the mercy Jesus showed at the cross, and then being aware that the enemy has schemes of, of attack coming your way, but you remember, I am who I am in Jesus Christ, righteous by his blood shed for me, loved by him. I run in to the strong tower of even just the name of my God, and I'm safe. That stuff doesn't get to me here. I'm safe. And then, I want you to remember who you're made to be, which is someone who knows how to soar. Yeah, sometimes the attack begins to feel a bit like uh, those crows coming after that eagle, and it's just all you can take. They're pecking at your back, the stuff that's going on, that they're dive bombing at you as a whole murder of crows coming after you. But what that eagle does, I'm going to connect the dots, what that eagle does, rarely does that eagle try to turn around and have a dog fight. Instead, that eagle spreads its wings and begins to rise. And as he rises, the crows fall away. And you, my friend, brother, sister, it's time for you to remember who you are and rise. Remember who you are and rise. Because this is the promise of my God in the face of attacks and temptations and tauntings and schemes of the devil. It's the promise in Isaiah 40. Those who trust in the Lord 
will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. So I want you to remember, this is, this is a picture of where God is calling you, even in the midst of whatever it is right now, and say it with me, Isaiah 40, 31. Those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. This is God's promise to somebody today. It's time for you to spread your wings and soar. You don't have to stay in that dogfight with the enemy. You can rise. Remember who you are and rise. For somebody today, I'm calling you to spiritual attention because you've been looking at all of this spiritual life thing and you're wondering, what do I do with it all? How do I make sense of it all? This is the essence of it. God wants you to know him. God wants you to know him so much that he came into time and space, Jesus, Messiah, Emmanuel, God with us, so that you could see him. And then he took all human sin to the cross because he was the only one who could do it. He was perfect and he took it all, including your sin. And he paid the full price for it. All that shady stuff that hangs like a, like a chain around your neck that keeps you from feeling that you could ever be forgiven by God, he's paid the price for it so that you can actually be forgiven, so that you can actually rise up and, and rise with him. And for somebody right now today, what you need to do is receive the message of the gospel. And the message of the gospel is called good news. And it's good news because God can take dead people, dead in our sins, and bring us to life. And that's good news. He does that. All you do is say, here I am. I want that. And by faith, you say, Jesus, I give you my life. And he'll take hold of your life and resurrect you. You'll be reborn. A new identity, a second chance. So somebody, today, this is the day for Romans 10, 13 for you. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone. Everyone. I know a bunch of us religious people would like to put an asterisk there in our Bible where we say, except for these people, except for you. See how the voice sounds like uh, someone else? But, But God's word just says, yeah, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And we're going to work on you. We're going, to, we're going to walk and walk out what that means over however many years God gives us. But for somebody, today is the day for that to begin, for you to call on the name of the Lord and be saved. And for somebody here who's a believer, this message has been for you to know what's been going on in your life, and, and, and you've been feeling like, man, I feel like I'm being attacked. It's like God is saying, yeah, but learn how to rise with me. You don't have to live under it. You can rise over it. So, Lord, I pray that even right now, you would allow some of us to um, have a spiritual awakening in this very moment. God, I pray for somebody here right now to finally just know this is my moment to ask Jesus to forgive me and save me. Okay, while I'm praying for you, you're literally sitting here and you're saying, I want to, but I don't think I can because I don't think I deserve it. Uh, You you literally are sitting here in this moment, and that's the thought going through your mind. You're thinking, I want to do that. I want to be forgiven, but I just don't think I deserve it. I want to tell you this. While we're praying, all of us feel that way. And the truth is, none of us did deserve it, and we still don't deserve it. It's never been about whether we deserved it. It's always been about whether he wanted to give it, and he always does. 
to anyone who would repent and turn to him. He wants to freely pour out his mercy, his gift of forgiveness and salvation. So while you're sitting here, if you've never asked Jesus Christ to forgive your sins and save your life, without his mercy and grace, you're, you're, gonna, you're gonna be going through hell and going to hell. This is just the way it is written in the scriptures, as awful as that sounds. And, and in this moment, you have an opportunity for a course correction, where you can say, Jesus, would you forgive me and save me? And he will, and he will lift you out of that horrible path and onto a path where he is your shepherd, walking with you on a path of salvation, ending in heaven and in all eternity. God, I pray that you would do the spiritual awakening that only you can do in this moment for somebody uh, to choose life in Jesus. So while we're praying, if you're sitting here saying, I want that, I finally want it. I want to say yes to Jesus and ask Jesus to forgive me. I want to ask Jesus to forgive me and save me. Right now, just raise your hand up really high. Just raise it. Just right now, this is your moment to once and for all say, I want to ask Jesus to save me and forgive me. Raise your hand high and keep it up for a moment. I see way in the back of the chapel. Thank you, man. A couple of you. And then right over here, right in the middle in the, my left. And in this middle section in my left, this gentleman, thank you. And if there's anyone else, I don't want to miss it. This is a holy moment for some of us where we're finally feeling that, that sense of awakening happening inside, that we can't make it up. It's just God is on the move, allowing some of us to know, I, I don't want to be on the, uh, of going through hell, going to hell. I want the redeeming power of Jesus. And just raise your hand if that's where you are. And you would say, I want to ask him to forgive me, save me. I believe that what God wants to do for some of us right now is lift us out of a path that we've been on and set us on a brand new course. And it's not only about going to heaven one day when we die. It's about living with an overcoming, victorious kingdom reality spirit here and now with the power of the Holy Spirit to live in increasing victory and, and to bring atmospheres and realms of the glory of God everywhere we go. Now, for somebody, you just raise your hand. I want you to pray right now. Talk to Jesus right where you're sitting and say it with me. Jesus Christ, I believe in you. And just say it. Jesus, I'm turning from sin. I repent and I turn to you. Would you be my Lord and my Savior from this moment on? Just say it to him. Jesus Christ, I am yours. I give you my life. All of it. The good, bad, the ugly. I'm all yours. Just say it to him. Jesus, I'm all yours. And Jesus, you are mine. Just say it to him. Jesus, you're my Savior, my Lord. And from this moment on, Shepherd me. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. God, I pray that even right now, while uh, many of us are just lingering in this moment in your presence, Lord, that you'd speak to us. So everybody, while we're just taking a couple minutes before we leave, just take a moment right now to simply say, Holy Spirit, would you speak to me? Earlier in our time of worship, I was praying and I caught this vision in the Spirit. This looked like Somebody, probably somebody here, just stuck in a very dark maze, like this long, long hallway, and then you're turning left, and, and then it's another long hallway, and it never ends, and there's a, this cement lid on all of it, and you, you feel literally like you're stuck in a long, dark maze that you can never get out of, and what I saw while I was praying, saying, Lord, what is that? I saw the hand of God just come to lift that cement lid off, and all of a sudden, light bursts in, and, and wh whoever you are, you can suddenly see differently, and then you realize, all, all I have to do is look up, and it's like God is standing there ready to pull you out of that dark maze you felt trapped in. He'll do it by the power of his spirit. That's a 
simple prophetic picture for somebody. It's not for everybody, but for somebody, it's like God is speaking your language today because that's literally what you've been saying to yourself. And here I am, don't even know you, but God's going, I want you to know that I see you and that I love you personally. And so there's this personal word, somebody you can receive it. Thank you, Jesus, that you're on the move and you're bringing us into a greater experience of your kingdom. I pray, Father, that you would allow each of us to keep rising, soaring on wings like eagles to the heights where you've intended us to be. Thank you that we get to do that. Thank you, Jesus. We honor you. We honor you, Lord. I will build my life. Why don't you all stand and sing to the Lord?